Welcome to Bear Books Podcast. I'm Daisy Ray. And I'm April Berry. This is the podcast that introduces indie authors to their readers. Together, we're looking for our next favourite author. We are here on episode two already, and we've gone from Scarred, which was absolutely terrifying, to a bit of a knee trembler and a bit of soft porn this week. Ooh. I think you'd have to replace a few of the words in the book, though, to make it soft porn. It's just, <laughs> it's an awful you know, lot of foreplay, isn't it? <laughs> there's an absolute, yeah, there's a lot of foreplay in that book, an awful lot, yeah. It's the entire book foreplay. Yeah, practically. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun reading it, though. Yes, let's tell everyone what the book is and give them a little bit of an overview, and then we can have a little bit of a giggle about our soft porn moment. Well, not yeah. our soft porn no, moment. No, no, not, I no. I to add, I mean in the book... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are all socially distanced here, darlings. <laughs> Basically, British actor Ben Quinn is a Hollywood leading man, needs to get out of Tinseltown and fast. So leaving the glamour glitz and paparazzi behind, he buys a house on impulse in the tiny village of Pearl Lake. He's happy to stay invisible to anyone except to his next door neighbour. After fleeing an obsessed fan, author Abby Peterson was loving her secluded life, a lake in her backyard and no one around. It's the perfect spot to ride her days away until a sexy younger neighbour moves in next door. She tries to play the casual onlooker, but makes a fool of herself more times than she can count. Just when their hearts connect, an unforeseen person threatens their newfound love. Has the paparazzi found Ben, or is it someone that Abby will have to face from the past? And it's quite interesting, actually, the book, because this is the first instalment in a trilogy. The author says the book should be read in that order as the character and the storyline continues. And I must admit, I did go on to read book two. More Already? about that. Yeah, I, went, I did. I started to read book two because I actually, it is the end of book one is actually a cliffhanger. You do need to know more. <laughs> Excellent. Book, and book two is not quite the soft porn that book one is. The parents turn up and put a kibosh and all that kind of thing. The thing that tickled me is the soft porn moment was in a room with another person present when they were getting hot and steamy and naive for want of a better word it's an absolutely hilarious moment looking for a mobile phone in inverted commas and that's all i'm telling you you need to read that it's so funny it is funny anyway it's about time we heard from tina marie now let's do that so we are talking to tina marie today she is the author of One Moonlit Night. Welcome, Tina. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe a little bit of an introduction about you as a writer or personally, help us get to know you a bit? Um, Well, I live in Canada, in Ontario, and I have two kids, and I'm married. Yeah, it it took me a a bit to uh, get into the writing something I always wanted to do, but um, I uh, had shared that idea with someone in, in a family member, actually, and they snidely looked at me and remarked and said, you write a book, and that was a very long time ago, and I thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe they're right. I can't write a book, right? So, yeah, I just kind of, oh, it was horrible. And, and, uh, and uh, so anyways, it took me 28 years to finally say to heck with them and mind you we don't speak anymore so that didn't that helped (laughs) but but yeah so I just uh, finally just sat down and I 
took paper to pen and, or pen to paper, I should say, I started writing and I thought, heck with this. And I got my laptop out and then it was just like, it just like word vomit onto, you know, from my fingers to the screen. And I just, uh, yeah, I just wrote it. Well, we're glad you did. (laughs) Thank you. That kind of takes us nicely on into the the second question, Tina, because obviously we understand that I've done a little little bit of research that Mm -hmm. it has been an idea for the last 28 years. So what actually was that catalyst that made you start? Um, What made me start was uh, living with regret and um, every, you know, year that passed by and no word of a lie, I would sit there and think to myself, you know, you never at least tried. I would attempt to try, you know, like I would sit down and I would write and then I would throw it away or I'd throw it into the uh, closet and forget about it. And five years later, I would come across and say, you know, you never tried that. And so finally, I just said, what are you holding back for? You know, if it sucks, it sucks. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And uh, yeah, so I had 30 people reading it as I wrote it just because I was so un confident in my ability I just thought you know well they'll tell me they'll tell me if it sucks right (laughs) so so I had uh those 30 people and it was it wasn't just family and friends it was people off the internet that I had never met in my life I was sending them chapters and I'm thinking to myself this isn't copyrighted should I be sending them this (laughs) but but I trusted them and I did it anyway and everyone absolutely loved it and if it wasn't for them I would never have published it because you know, it was the encouragement from them. You do tend to find as well, don't you, that, and I think this is a common thing, that the biggest barriers that we've got are the barriers that we put around ourselves. You know, so sometimes you just have to say, oh, to hell with it, I'm going for it. Right, exactly. And that's that's what I did. I figured, you know, at least I, I didn't have to live with that regret and be like 80 years old, hopefully, <laughs> um, and say, you know, and say to myself, you didn't at least try, you know, so that's, one dream that I always wanted to do, and I, I accomplished it. So the story itself then, is that a completely made-up thing? Is it something from, well, based in truth loosely maybe from when you were younger, 28 years younger? <laughs> yeah. um, no, actually, it's completely made up. I didn't write the story, okay? Um, I think some people uh, say, oh, yeah, you wrote it. But no, when I sat down, I didn't have to think. I didn't plot it out. I didn't. You know, I didn't, I didn't even know their names at that point. I just picked easy names, like short, easy names, because I didn't want some long, you know, like Cassandra that I had to write every time for Abby's, you know, I didn't want to write that out. So I took the shortest, <laughs> easiest names I could possibly do. Uh, the first one that popped into my head, that's what their name was. Yeah, I just, I just sat down and I wrote. There's a few parts that I thought was hilarious, uh, but mind you, with my sleep deprived mind at the time, I was like three, four o'clock in the morning sitting there laughing my ass off. (laughs) And if anybody was awake in the house, they would have thought I was nuts, but I enjoyed writing it and discovering their story. You know, it wasn't me planning. It just, it took its own life. You know, I didn't direct it at all. It directed me. 
That's really, really good. I can tell you what, though, it did make me laugh too. One part in particular, not wanting to give any plot points away, but when she was looking for his mobile phone, I thought that yeah. was hilarious. I was, was howling. Yeah. That's the part I was talking about. I'm like, oh my God, can I say this? You know, but I had to tweak it a little bit because it was much more graphic. Some people might be appalled with it, but I mean, I thought it was funny. <laughs> it was. It definitely was. Yeah. Mm. It's like yeah, Mills and Boom with an edge. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Are you old enough to remember Mills and Boone? <laughs> I don't think so, no. <laughs> Is that a it was, it was a British style of writing back in the day. Oh. We're going back quite a few decades. In some respects, Tina, it's not really a typical a typical romance novel, is it? It is a bit con- controversial to make the male character younger than the female. I thought that was a rather a nice twist. What brought that about? I guess what really, he initially was going to be 15 years younger, and I thought, oh, no, no, that's too, that's too young, you know. And um, mind you, I would never personally be in a relationship with a younger man, but I know catering to the readers, it's ideal, because there is some women that would, right? And um, mind you, I wouldn't blame them. And, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so uh, a mentor of mine, I had talked to him about it and he read it and he says, that's not really that much, like the 15 years. And he said, if you want a well factor, make them 20 years younger. And I'm like, mm, no, you know, um, that was just way too young for me. So I decided on 12, <laughs> that, you know, that would be the age difference. And to my surprise, it doesn't matter the woman's age. Like I've had young, younger women, like 25 and 23 and as old as, you know, in their 70s. They love it. It doesn't matter that there's that age gap there. So I'm happy yeah. about it. 12 years is not generational or anything, though, is it? So you've skirted that issue altogether by making it 12. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had Even though Abby is older than Ben. Mm-hmm. She's still the weaker of the two of them. I mean, she's a career woman and she's successful. Yeah. And but she is the weaker of the two emotionally, thinking mm-hmm. that she's not worthy, sort of thing. And assuming he's a gigolo, and she wasn't worth loving from someone of his age or his looks. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's something that's aimed at the type of readers the book is aimed at? That it appeals to them. Um, yeah, that she's still the weaker of the two. Do you think it's like a traditional thing that the man has to be the stronger character of the two? No, not necessarily. I think with, with Abby, um, because of what's happened to her in the past with, you know, a fan um, being after her, you know, um, she has her guard up. So she wants to, you know, she likes the attention and everything, but she doesn't. She doesn't want to act on it, I guess. So yeah. she's kind of she's kind of in defense. And if when people read it, you'll realize you as you're reading it, I didn't go into great detail explaining what Abby looks like. Um, and really, I didn't go into that I, a little bit more detail with Ben. But I mean, I did it simply because as a reader, like as I've you know read in the past, I know women tend to put themselves in the spot of the heroine, right? So. That is why she doesn't have very much of physical characteristics. I can't say the word. (laughs) Characteristics. Yes. That's why I didn't go into detail with that. Because women do do that. That's what makes her so relatable to the reader, I think. 
because they can. I think that's themselves. a really good point. I hadn't thought about that at all. Yeah. It's it's really strange actually because I'd got a picture in my mind of Abby, and yeah. now I come to think of it with you saying that, Tina. Actually, no, you didn't describe what she looks like. Mm. No. No. And see, that's just it. Like everybody, I've read so many books and it's not even necessarily romance. It can be um, like Dean Koontz. Everybody has their own image of what a character looks like. And when it comes to romance, you know, you see the cover and then you see, like as you're reading it, the girl doesn't match the cover, which is very disappointing. <laughs> and then, or you'll sit there and you'll say, okay, this character has blonde hair or brown hair or whatever. And in actuality, you find out later on she has red hair. And to me, that just totally ruins the story because I've already got a pre-existing image of what that person looks like in my mind. Yeah, yeah, that, that so, is so true. Do like, you think you described Ben more because you envisage more of a female readership maybe? Yes. I didn't, like I said, I didn't go into too much detail well, I kind of did with him. <laughs> yeah, you kind of yeah. did with him. <laughs> yeah, we all know yeah. what Ben looks like. <laughs> yeah. And see, that's what, but you, everybody has a different perspective of what, of what Ben looks like, you know? So, Probably. Um, yeah. So like in my mind, he kind of, kind of looks like a Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but, um, but that's in my mind. And in your mind, it could be totally someone different. And, um, but now we're yeah. thinking more Ben Affleck. Oh, yeah, him too. There's so many. Like, it's just whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's whatever you want Ben to be. That is who he is. <laughs> so. Maybe he's a gigolo. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you want him to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. I don't think I sort of envisaged him being anybody. Maybe Ryan Reynolds, I think, was, Ooh, was yeah. what was in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good too. Yeah. I like that. He's Canadian too, so that's nice. <laughs> so tina are any, any of the characters actually based on anybody you know or have known have you brought anything have you drawn anything from anybody to no. to make them up um not at all um none of the characters none of the human characters are the four-legged and the bird are all animals that i've known it's like the two cats, um, they're based on my two cats. The dog is my son's dog. And the bird is this bird that is in a pet shop, a local pet shop, believe it or not. His name's Coco. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, but the human characters, no. They just became who they are. So, yeah. <laughs> I do think, actually, though, that Abby is quite insecure. Uh, to a degree, yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she's very, very successful. Yep. But still doubts herself constantly, I think. Yeah. I think it's too, she just doesn't believe how successful she has become so quickly um, with only mm. one book out. And, you know, she's in disbelief, I think, at that point. She's just not really believing that, hey, I'm who I am type thing. Yeah. And she's very down to earth, too. So um, she may never, nev may never get that, uh, oh, well, look at me <laughs> attitude, you know. So, but yeah. I mean, one of the things that's, that strikes me is that, that in, in your normal sort of romance novel, and my mum used to read hundreds of them, so they're not something that I've picked a lot of, or, but my mum used to read absolutely hundreds of them, of the Milton Boone era in the 70s and the 80s. And none of the characters ever got on with one another until the last chapter. So Ben and Abby, actually, they get on with each other right from the beginning. And, and again, you've said you don't know about Mills and Boone, so perhaps this is a bit of a, of, a, of a weird question to ask. So what made you kind of sort of stray away from what's possibly a tried and tested formula? Mm. Okay, well, that, that formula, I know 
what you speak about that. Um, I've read a lot of books where, um, you know, there's a love-hate relationship or, you know what I mean? It's just they're enemies at first. The reason is, I kind of went that way, was that to me, there is enough hate and fighting in the world as it is. Every relationship in the real world, in the real world, does not follow that formula. So this story, above all else, is a love story. You are right there, actually, because you don't sort of, in the real world, you don't meet somebody, hate them, and then a year later marry them. It's right. normally the other way around. You marry them and then start to hate exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they got one up on everybody here. So. But yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. With this being the first book in the trilogy that we're reviewing today, though, it's a bit like watching a miniseries on the TV. What was your thought process behind that? Did you intend it to be a trilogy? Why wasn't it one big novel? To save the reader some money, I thought to myself, split it up, you know, make it into two books. Just because when it comes to Amazon, I wasn't even thinking of Kindle for some reason, but I was just thinking paperback. You have to pay for a publishing fee. So I split it in half just to save it. And then I rewrote the ending of uh, One Moonlit Night and Moonlit Stalker. And I thought to myself, after Moonlit Stalker, I thought to myself, there's no way I can end it this way. I, I can't, you know. And I will tell you, it is a cliffhanger. But uh, so I thought to myself, I will make it into a trilogy. So then I wrote book three. And that's how it became a trilogy. Conversely, though, when they love read the first one and then love that, it's nice to know that there's another two to go and that's not the end. Whoever reads goes on to read book two and book three, I know those are the true fans of the series. Yeah, so. yeah. What a wonderful situation to be in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that, is quite, that is quite interesting because I think that the bit that I was going, ooh, at was when... Um, when the dog ended up getting cut, and I'm like, oh, I don't like that. It's a bit, uh, you know, yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. poor, the poor dog, you know, somebody, why do you have to hurt the dog? Yes. Yeah. And, I didn't like that either. No, I was <laughs> no. a bit, you know. Don't you worry. He gets his. <laughs> or hers. Okay. Okay. Ooh, ooh intriguing now. They I've get not hers. <laughs> yeah, they get this. I mean, I've not got, I've not got through uh, as far through book two yet as what I think I ought to be. So we are only reviewing book one, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I do this a lot, though. I do this a lot. You'll find this. Uh... So we know from talking to you earlier that all three books in the trilogy are written. Are they all available to buy? Yes, they are. They're all. Um, they're either in Kindle Unlimited. They're all free on there, or they're available as a Kindle, and they're also available in paperback. Excellent. So are you writing anything else? Do you have anything else in the pipeline? Yes, I am currently writing Ava's story, which is Abby's daughter. Oh, right. Okay, so it's turning into a bit of a saga. So can you give us a clue then about Ava and Mark? Will Mark be featuring in the book? Oh, yes, Mark's there. Um, (laughs) Ava's there, Mark's there, Kim's there, uh, Ben and Abby briefly there. In this crazy world, it's nice to read a story with hope and love and just to get away from, you know, your inner yeah. thoughts. I suppose writing it's as much escapism as reading it, really. Yes. And the thing is, when it comes to uh, being a writer, I don't read it as a reader. I read it as a writer, if that makes any sense to use. <laughs> <laughs> I have one lady reading Ava's story as I write it. She actually says, 
because she's like an avid fan of the first trilogy. She said, I thought One Moonlit Night and the other two were excellent. She says, this is by far your best. She said, it's awesome. And she said, I wouldn't change a thing. And I'm like, really? And she says, yes, you've really grown as a writer. And I'm like, hmm, it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> you know, it just feels like, it just feels like garbage. <laughs> so, but that's me. Like I said, it's, it's the, yeah. the writer in me, I guess. You sound a little bit like Abby, or Abby sounds a little bit like you in doubting her Maybe. abilities. Maybe. I think... I think what it is, what it boils down to is those words that that person said to me 28 years ago keeps resonating in the back of my mind. Yeah. <sighs> People need to really be careful, like how they, yeah. you know, say things. Because that affected me for 28 years and I'm not, I'm not one to normally self-doubt myself at all. Well, I, mean, I am really, really pleased that you decided not to let that affect you for the rest of your life and you have written your books. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I just didn't want to, you know, like live with the regret, you know, for the rest mm. of my life. What we need to know, Tina, is where can we find you online, social media, etc. This is your shameless plug. Okay. I have my own website. It's called authortinamarie.com. I do have a Residence of Pearl Lake on Facebook. Uh, it's a place for avid readers or people that love the story around Ben and Abby's world type thing. Um, and I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Massive thanks then to Tina Marie for joining us on the podcast today. It has been so entertaining having a chat and getting to know her. It was strange for me that none of the characters were anybody she knew or that she got any, you know, they, there was no input from anybody external. They were all a product of her imagination. Yeah, that's true. They were, weren't they? Yeah, so that must be quite a difficult thing to do. I think if I was writing a book, I'd be tempted to use not necessarily people that I know, but certainly aspects of people's characters that were amusing or made life easy for myself. Well, yeah, but uh, I, I actually quite liked Abby. She was certainly obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we know this. <laughs> I thought Abby was the most insecure person. I mean, for a successful writer and all the things that she had accomplished in her life to be this little wilting flower with I'm really not good enough and isn't he fabulous and and then like <laughs> after we'd spoken to Tina it was like well actually it's still tongue-in-cheek and quite funny and she's taking the rip a little bit and it just it made the book better for yes, me yes yeah do you know something April well, I think that 80% plus of our listeners won't have a clue who Mills and Boone were. Yeah, it's Harlequin now, I believe, <laughs> isn't it? All this romantic stuff that... They were very tame, this, weren't they? Yeah, this wasn't pure and chast until the last chapter, was it, though? Not with that mobile phone incident, no. <laughs> if you... I mean, that was so hilarious, but there are other other parts of it that I thought were just as risque as well. I mean, you know, it, it's about time they just got on with it, really. There was a lot of beating yeah. around the bush and a lot of skirting about, and I was just like, oh, just take her to bed, mate. <laughs> both of them were. Isn't he lovely? Isn't she wonderful? And both of them also thinking, well, oh, she's not going to like me, and he's not going to think I'm good enough, and she's too successful for me, and he's too young for me, and I'm like, no. on it already. I know. I know. They do get over it, though. I'd, I'd tell yeah. you what I liked about it, the, the little bit of suspense that was thrown in about you actually really don't know who is stalking 
who, so you don't actually know whether it's... I still don't know. Have I read it wrong? No, you haven't read it wrong. You actually haven't read it wrong. Absolutely finishes on a cliffhanger. So you kind of have to go on and read book two. You uh, have to to read these in order, don't you? You do, yes. Yeah, Yeah. you do. You know, it's a trilogy and I am curious and interested. That little bit of suspense for me gave the book quite a bit of meat. Yeah. It's an amazing trilogy to sort of just sit on a Sunday on the settee with a blanket and a cup of coffee and just to have a read or if we could go on holiday to take it and read it on the sun lounger but my first instinct was it's shallow Mm -hmm. after talking to tina marie it's funny and it's a little bit of a rise and there's a lot more to it yeah Um, you just need to be looking in the right places so it does read differently when you know what you're reading not so keen on the shallow aspect of it but if you are genuinely looking for something to take your mind off life and you need an easy read and you want to switch your brain off, sit down with this book and your mind will soon wander off. And you will want to read book two. I can assure you that. I shall. So, Daisy, I think we've got something a little bit different coming up next week, haven't we? Oh, I'm already reading it. <laughs> and I can tell you it is a doozy. This is a little bit about Alfred Jones and Son brothers, travelling undertakers and soul traders. Life's not easy when your father's an idiot, and trust me, he is. And after 600 years, this could become quite wearing. The day young Alfred's father signed the contract with the smiling stranger was the day his existence changed forever. Endowed with a particularly shoddy form of immortality, he is condemned to pursue a never-ending quest to gather the souls of the recently deceased. How exciting does that sound? It, it does sound exciting. I've not started reading it yet. I've got a week in which to, to read this before we're actually interviewing Bob. So I've got quite a bit to look forward to, I'm assuming. You really have. I can't put it down. It is excellent. We'll see you next week for more about Bob. See you next week. We have been Daisy Ray and April Berry. Come share your opinions about the podcast, our authors and their books on Instagram and Facebook at Bear Books Podcast or Twitter at Bear Books Pod One. Submit your book for a possible future review to submissions at bearbooks.co.uk or if you've got any queries or any comments, email them to contact us at bearbooks.co.uk. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can find him on Instagram at dadnap.mp3. And if you like what we do here, subscribe and share. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.